It's good to be here with you. My name is Greg. I'm at Northview, as Matt said. Last few times I've been here, I was talking about how I have a son, and I have one uh, child on the way, and now the child has come. And so I have a picture of uh, my daughter, Emily. Thank you very much. We, uh, my wife and I were like, okay, I know sometimes babies come out looking weird and alien-like, but I actually think she's cute. But I don't know. We're the parents, and so every parent thinks they're cute. And anyways, that's her. Uh, thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we are adjusting to being a family of four. So uh, with that in mind, let's uh, pray, and then we'll move into our, our text for uh, this morning. So pray with me. Father, I'm thankful for uh, this morning. I'm thankful for your grace to us. I'm thankful for uh, sunshine and air to breathe and lungs to breathe the air and health, uh, enough health to come and, and sit and, and, and stand and worship and pray and have your word uh, read and understand it and learn from it. So, Father, I ask that by your spirit you would fill us so that we can understand your word and we can apply your word and we can be transformed by your word. So th- this is your word. We are your people. We want you to do your work by your spirit. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, this morning, in many ways, is a continuation from, from last week. So last week, Matt spent some time in Genesis chapter 18. We're, we're in a sermon series looking at the life of Abraham. Uh, and, and last week was looking at an engagement between Abraham and, and God, particularly around the issue of, of evil, its existence, and what God intends to do by judging evil. And in many ways, this morning is, is just a continuation of that, that same theme, but we're looking at it in particular from the angle of God's dealing with uh, the city of Sodom. So if, if you're familiar at all with, with Bible things, uh, you, you probably have heard about Sodom and the destruction of Sodom, and so we're going to look at that very uh, popular, well-known story uh, from Genesis chapter 19. What we're going to do is we're just going to look at the story itself. And then we're going to make two kind of application points from the story. So we'll look at the text, try to understand what's going on there, and then we're going to make two application points from it. So uh, if you have a Bible, great. Turn it to Genesis uh, chapter 19. If not, the scriptures that we're going to be reading will be on the screen. But to set, to set ourselves up for this passage of uh, Genesis 19, we need a little bit of context work just to locate us in the story. Uh, Genesis chapter 18 Abraham, who's kind of like the lead character in our sermons uh, series these past few weeks, he was in a tent out in the middle of the Middle East in the desert and uh, where it's hot, and he's sitting in the tent where it's less hot, and three strangers come to him. And so in the ancient world, hospitality was, was a high value, not just because it's, it's nice to let someone into your house, like your neighbor, if they're standing at your doorstep, like weirdly looking in and you're like, do you want to come in? It's, it's more even than just that. In the ancient world, hospitality was, was basically offering someone survival. Because if you were to be left out of the tent, out into the wild, there's animals who think you look like dinner. There, there's other people who aren't particularly friendly travelers, and the climate itself doesn't um, suit you very well for living. So if you weren't actually welcomed into the tent, you very well likely could, could die out in the wilderness. And so Abraham has these strangers come to his tent, and he invites them in. He makes them some bread, and very soon he realizes these strangers aren't exactly what he was expecting. They come to him and they say, look, we're sent by God. 
And we are here to tell you that your wife is going to have a son. We're going to come back in a year and you're going to have a baby. And they think that's hilarious because his wife, super old, very, very old woman, well past the years of having babies. And Abe also very old. So they hear this report. They think it's a joke. They laugh. And the angel says, because you've laughed, I'm, I'm, we're gonna, you're going to name your son Jacob, which means laughter. And in a year, we're going to come back and we're going to see Jacob. So that's the scene that precedes where we were, where the angels leave the tent. God has a conversation with Abraham regarding justice and evil. And then we come to Genesis chapter 18, verse 20. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I'll go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I'll know. So the men, the, the angels, turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. So the angels who were with Abraham are now going into Sodom to see if the rumors of the wickedness of Sodom actually prove true. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he, Lot, pressed them strongly, so they turned aside with him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So Lot, uh, Lot's not our main character in the sermon series. Abraham's been, that, well, actually, God's the main character, and then we've been looking at God, who God is through Abraham. But Lot is, is the, he's the nephew of Abraham. So a few chapters earlier, Genesis chapter 13, Lot and Abraham are traveling together. And they both got a lot of stuff, a lot of people, a lot of family, a lot of livestock, a lot of wealth, and they decide they're going to split ways. And so they got to pick, pick where they want to settle. So Abraham picks his spot. Lot looks out at this really lush green area called the Jordan Valley, and he says, I'm going to go there. That looks like an awesome place to set up some tents and live. Now, in, in our contemporary world, we don't think anything of that really because we hear like, Jordan Valley and Lot, and we're thinking still mostly like it's just a story like Narnia. We don't actually think they're real people with real places. But, but that Lot was a real guy, and the Jordan Valley was a real place. And in the ancient world, to, to hear about the lush green Jordan Valley, it, you would have thought to yourself, uh, bad news, don't go there. Ba bad things happen in that area because Sodom's there. This would have been the point in the movie, right, where you're, you're watching the movie and you know there's a killer on the loose and the killer kills people in the woods. And then the lead character's like, let's go in the woods. And you're like, don't go in the woods. That's where the killer is. See, if, if you're in the ancient world, hearing Lot say, I'm going to go there, is the let's go in the woods part of the story. So you would have thought to yourself, when, knowing that in Genesis chapter 13, ah, something's going to end up happening down there with Lot. I just know, I just know something's going to end up happening. Well, cue this part of the story where the angels come to Sodom at the gate of Sodom where Lot is hanging out. I, I think we have a picture of an ancient gate, maybe. There it is. Uh, probably not actually Sodom because it was destroyed. Spoiler alert. Um, but an ancient gate functioned in a city as a, uh, as a barrier of protection 
from the animals outside and the, the travelers who want not just to travel nicely and take photos, but actually kill you. But, but the gate also served as like the city center, the, the, the place where news would be spread, where, where business deals would be made, where the leaders of the city would be hanging out, making leader of city kind of decisions. So the fact that Lot is sitting at the gate should tell us as readers that he's a guy who's actually worked himself into the fabric of the society. Lot waiting at the gate doesn't mean he was like expecting the angels to come, because he wasn't. Lot sitting at the gate meant that he was well, well ingrained in the fabric of Sodom at this point. And so Lot has the, hosp- the, the, the angels come, and, and to that moment, he, he decides to extend some hospitality because he knows that to not extend hospitality would be bad for these people. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is these guys are in the gate already. So they should be safe because the dangers are the wild, right? The animals, the, the travelers. Once you're in the gate, it should be all good. But Lot's like, actually, this city's rough. So you need to, it's not just enough for you to be inside the gate. You need to come into my house or else you're not going to be safe. This is the equivalent of traveling with the money belt, right? Have you gone to one of those places where the, the, the leader of the trip says, don't bring a wallet because you're a target, especially if you're like a white tourist in Thailand, the, the locals in Thailand, well, no, I was taught this when I went to Thailand. If you're in some of the urban centers, there's thieves that work the airports and, and they'll see you and they'll see that you have a wallet in your back pocket and they will pick your wallet. So instead, buy, buy a money belt. So I have this really nice flesh-toned money belt. Very secret. This is local knowledge to keep you safe in a place you're not aware of. This is what Lot is doing with these angels. He's providing them with some local knowledge about how to stay safe in Sodom. It's not enough to just be in the gate, guys. You should come into my house. So they come. Verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them, which is language for for sexual activity, knowing them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, closes the door behind him, leaves the guys in there, comes out and said, "I, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said that the men of Sodom said to Lot, stand back. And they said, this fellow, Lot, Lot came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and drew near to break the door down. So here's the scene where where Lot tells the angels, it's not safe in the city. Guys are going to want to kill you. They're going to do wicked things to you if you stay in the city. Sure enough, the men of Sodom find out that Lot's holding these guys in his house. And so they come and they want to do what Sodom men do, which is destroy these guys, act wickedly towards them. The language of no there means it's a gang rape scene. It's a wicked, wicked action that these men want to do. And, and Lot is, is just in this moment because he's trying to defend these strangers. But then he shows himself to not be such a good dude. Like in, in one sentence, he's saying, don't hurt them. I have them protected. They're under my care. Here's my daughters. So look, in the contemporary world, that's awful. In the ancient world, it's awful. 
It's just bad, just bad move by Lot's part, right? There, there's no historical justification for Lot making this move. It just is, is evidence that Lot's not, he, he's not the hero of this story, essentially. Sure, he made a good choice in protecting the strangers. He made a bad choice in offering up his daughters. And, and the men of Sodom, at this point, they turn on Lot. So Lot, who came in as a sojourner, remember Genesis 13, he finds the land, he decides he's going to go there, set up his tent near Sodom, but now he's ingrained himself in the culture of Sodom. They, they see him and they're like, you're just a foreigner who's come here and, and you've worked yourself up through the city, but, but now you think you're better than us? Okay, fine. We'll, we'll do worse things to you than we are going to do to the angels. The, the scene is just disintegrating in front of us. The, the wickedness the hostility, the, the horrible conditions in this city are, are just exponentially increasing in front of your eyes as you're reading this story. And remember, the, the reason that the Lord had sent his angels into Sodom, chapter 18, verse 21, was to see whether the Sodomites have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. So basically, the angels are here on a scouting mission. Is Sodom really as bad as we hear the rumors well, as you see this scene unfold, the answer to that question is an obvious yes. Sodom is as bad as what they had heard. So they're coming. The men of Sodom are coming after the angels. They're coming after Lot, verse 10. But the men, the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we're about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place. For the Lord is about to destroy the city, but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. This is a really interesting turn in the story because Lot, who was supposed to be the protector of the strangers, now needs to be protected by the strangers. The whole city's turned on Lot. Lot was ingrained. He was one of the guys in the gate who was in on the news. And now the whole city's turned on him. The angels bring him back from outside because they know Lot's in trouble. And they say, look, here's the deal. We're not just some dudes who are traveling. We were sent by the Lord to see whether Sodom was as bad as we had heard. And um, it is. So here's the deal. Whoever's with you, Lot, you gather them together. We're, we'll take you out. You guys can leave the city because we're going to destroy whoever's in the city. So Lot hears this, and now the guys he's was, he was protecting, he is now being protected by, he's being rescued by, and he goes to his sons-in-law. He's like, all right, guys, here's the deal. Uh, there were some strangers. I was at the gate, as I do. I'm at the gate. Some strangers come, bring them in the house. Scene goes crazy. Men of Sodom act like the men of Sodom do. Long story short, they're angels sent by God. And uh, God's going to destroy the city if, if we, and if we don't go, we'll be destroyed in the city. So why don't you guys come with, with, with me? And his sons-in-law are like, it's really funny. It's a really funny story. Man, I knew when I was marrying your daughter, I was getting some good stuff. But like a comedian as a father-in-law was not one I was expecting. They think he's totally joking. They think this whole scene of these angels and this destruction is just a big joke. Well... Everyone in Sodom goes to sleep that night like it was just another night in Sodom. And then verse 15. 
As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, Lot. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh, no, uh, my Lord, uh, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you've shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I, I cannot escape to the hills. It's too far. Uh, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. The angel said to him, Behold, I I grant you this favor also, that I'll not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which means little. This is... (laughs) Very funny little scene. So destruction's coming. In the morning, destruction is coming. Lot wakes up. The angels say, destruction's coming. And Lot thinks to himself, you know what? There's some laundry that needs to be done. So I'm going to just make sure that's all in order. And ah, did I press confirm on the online groceries? I don't think I did. Let's go back. I did press it. Can you believe it? I should have pressed it. He's lingering. Can I just have 10 minutes more to like get things in order before the destruction comes, guys? No, no, no. It's time to go, man. Let's, let's go. So they, they grab him by the hands and they lead him out, right? This is what you do with your children. I, I was at a mall in Abbotsford last night getting um, booster juice for my family and my son didn't want to leave the mall. He thought the elevators would be fun. And so at one point, I was walking with a tray of of juice and letting my son walk whatever direction he wanted because I thought that would be a good idea. And then he decided he didn't want to walk the same direction I was going. So I grabbed him by the hand and I walked with him back to the van. This is what the angels are doing with Lot and his family from the pending destruction of Sodom. No, no, guys, come, 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 come. Come, let's go, come. A bunch of three-year-olds can't, can't find their way out of the city, so they're dragging them out based on the mercy of the Lord. It's a crazy little scene, and then it keeps going because Lot is told, okay, see those hills? That's where you won't be destroyed. Just go to the hills. And Lot's reaction is, bah, it's kind of far. Right? I'm just wearing Crocs. And that looks like a, a big journey. And if I had my laundry done, like I asked you to, I could have worn better clothing. But here's the deal. Let's go to the little, let's go to Hope. There's a little city right there. Like nothing bad will happen. It's a little city, right? What could happen to a little city? Just let me live there. It's no big deal. The angel at this point is face palming because the guy that he's been sent to deliver is is clearly not the top drawer kind of guy that you could pick. He says, okay, fine. Hang out in the little city. It's fine. But like, go there, stay there, because once you're there, that's when the destruction is going to take place. And the destruction does take place. Genesis 19, verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, that little city. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley. And all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground, it was complete destruction. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. This is the scene 
everything's been building up to. God, God was talking to Abraham, having a philosophical conversation about, is humanity actually wicked or not? And they're having this conversation back and forth. And, and Abraham asked the question, will the Lord not do what is right? Will the Lord not make good decisions based on the wickedness of people? And the answer to that question is, yes, God is just. Sodom's sin was so horrific and so rebellious against God that, that the judgment was coming. God did what was right, and the destruction was complete. Nothing was left. You can look at different archaeological records, and you can see that, that there's evidence that there was something once there, but it's really hard to piece together what actually was once there. The destruction was complete. And then there's a really interesting little nugget in this story too in verse 26 because Lot's wife, who was being led out by the hand at one point like a three-year-old, she turns back. And the way, the way we read this text sometimes is it sounds like she just did like a shoulder check, right? Like you're on your driving test and you have to do shoulder checks all the time or else you'll fail, which there's a tip for you if you have a driving test coming up, just shoulder check a lot. <laughs> we, we think Lot's wife just did one of these. And then she gets turned into salt, right? That's the way we think in like, this is just a fake story like Narnia. In reality, what probably ended up taking place, Luke 17 seems to indicate that, that Lot's wife actually returned to Sodom. She, she was walking with the family, being delivered by the hand like a three-year-old. And she's walking and she's thinking, I don't want to go to Zoar. Nothing's there. It's hope. What are you going to do in hope? I don't actually know if God's going to judge it anyways. I was going to go back to Sodom. And the same destruction that Sodom faced is what Lot's wife faced when she returned back to the scene of the crime. There's the story of the destruction of Sodom. Here's two things we can learn from it. First of all, that destruction is coming. And secondly, that deliverance is available. So two things we're going to learn from this text is that destruction is coming and that deliverance is available. So first, let's look at the fact that destruction is coming. The reality in scriptures is that Sodom and the destruction of Sodom is presented consistently as an illustration for the pending judgment that is yet to come. Luke 17, uh, verse 26, just as in the days of Noah, right? Noah and the ark and the flood. Just as in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You hear what Jesus is saying there? Sodom is an illustration of the destruction that is pending, that is coming on the wicked. It's interesting because when it comes to the story of Sodom, what happens sometimes in in people's minds and in, in Christian talking and thinking is it seems like the big issue with Sodom was the sodomy, right? The, 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 the homosexual acts that, that these men of Sodom were trying to commit on the angels. And we set it up as though the, the sexual immorality was the super sin that got Sodom destroyed. We have a tendency in our Christian culture as kind of a side note to, to, to do this with certain sins, C- create them as these super sins that are worthy of judgment and these other sins, which are not really that big of a deal. 
But what's, what we need to realize is that when it comes to Sodom, it, it wasn't only because of the sexual immorality that they were destroyed. Here's Ezekiel chapter 16. Uh, Ezekiel's talking to Israel and, and pleading for them to repent. And as a part of his pleading, he, he talks about the experience of Sodom. Verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 49 of chapter 16, Ezekiel writes, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. So what was Sodom's problem? She and her daughters had pride, excessive food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them and I saw it. See, that, that language of did an abomination before me probably does refer to sexual immorality. But you see the other things on the list? Prosperous with ease and yet indifferent towards the poor is one of the reasons why Sodom was judged. So look, friends, the consistent testimony of scripture is that wide is the road to destruction and many are the sins that lead there. It's not, not a super sin issue and lesser sins. Wide is the road to destruction. Many are the sins that get you on that path. Galatians 5 is an example of a New Testament passage that talks like this. Uh, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Like, I don't know, add, add whatever you want to the list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So look, sexual immorality is on the list. But so are fits of anger. Not even just like a life of anger, but like fits. Little, little fits. Same in terms of its rebellion and its repulsion in the sight of the Lord. So, so here's the point is that Sodom serves as an illustration for the judgment and the destruction that is yet to come. And the road is wide and the sins are many which lead to destruction. And when it comes to what the Bible talks about this destruction looking like, the sobering and sombering and horrific reality is that the future destruction that is coming for the wicked is described as hell. We don't like talking about hell all that often. Some people grew up in churches where all they ever heard about was hell. A lot of people grew up now never hearing about it. But, but here's the, the reality is that hell is the future for the wicked. This is how the scriptures speak. Uh, Revelation 14 describes the, the experience in some metaphorical, symbolic language, describes the experience of what it's going to be like. Here's Revelation 14. Verse six, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual morality and another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup 
of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur, like Sodom, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Jesus is watching. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. The destruction of the wicked is described as eternal torment. There'd be no end to it. That it's not as though this is happening in some corner of eternity that Jesus is unaware of. It says that Jesus is actually right there watching the scene. It's a horrific image. But, but Jesus warned about the horrific nature of hell. Mark chapter 9, verse 42, Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. The, the passage keeps going, but let me just, I just want to pause there. You hear what Jesus is saying there? That, that it's a better experience for you to have a stone tied around your neck for you to be thrown into the sea where your lungs will start to be filled with water. Where, where nothing but panic and desperation is in your mind's view, Jesus says that's a better option than hell. So, so however we want to understand the metaphors of what hell is like, is it like fire? Is it, is it like outer darkness? Is it, what, what is it actually going to be like? We can, we can have conversations about that, but, but the, don't miss the point. The, the point is it's horrific and it's coming. Sodom was a warning for what is coming for the wicked. See, when, when we think about hell and the doctrine of hell, it's not one of those doctrines that you should be talking about with a big smile on your face. It's, it's a hard word. It's a true word, but it's a hard one. One of the main objections towards hell, often by Christians, there's all kinds of objections that people have to the idea of hell, but we're, here's just one. One of the objections to hell is this idea of its eternality and, and its, its conscious eternality. Because we'll, we'll look at that future and we'll say, how, how does that in any way fare given the temporal nature of my actions, my sinful actions? Right? I, I do something in a moment, a fit of anger. And without any repentance and faith in the gospel, that, that, that fit of anger is worthy of eternal torment? It seems like the scales are a bit tilted, right? Seems a bit crazy. But I, I think we instinctively know that, that a sinful action is judged not merely on the action itself, but on who the action is directed towards. So, so let me unpack that for us a little bit. Let, let's say that after the service, uh, someone goes out into the parking lot, they see a little ant, and they have a toothpick, and they decide to thrust the toothpick through the ant. You might be thinking to yourself, that's a weird kid. But you're not calling the cops. It's just a, it's a weird move by the kid to do. Okay, so now let's, let's think about that image of, of taking a sharp object, thrusting it through an object, and now let's move it from an ant to a pig. Do you guys see the SPACA story uh, where they were trying to get rid of a peg to be a pet and someone was like, I'll take it, do the paperwork, and then they made barbecue? <laughs> now, now, some of us who eat bacon on the regular, we're like, smart move, <laughs> right? Free, free meat. Some of us, though, 
respond to that story with, with a different level than we did to the ant story because there's something different intrinsically about the pig than there is about the ant. And so the, the image of a, of a spear going through the pig with a little apple on the end, for, for some of us, we're like, that sounds like a Saturday barbecue. And for others, they say, no, no, something is different is happening there, and that's what, what persuades them, what their conscience persuades them to do things like eat vegetarian. Because there's something intrinsically different from the pig than there was with the ant. Even though the action of piercing a sharp object through the object is the same. Now let's go to the realm of humanity. Say there's a little child and there's a spear and someone impales a little child on a spear. We all instinctively say that's wicked. That's not just like, oh, what a weird kid. Or like, oh, maybe we shouldn't eat bacon. That, that's wicked. That, that should be punished. Why? It's the same action. Sharp object, living creature, spear. But with the ant, it's no big deal. With the human child, that person should be punished. See, the only difference, the difference isn't the action. The difference is the value of the object who was acted upon. Because the human is more valuable than a pig and an ant, the action is way worse. Now, Now imagine you sin against a person. That's terrible. Imagine you sin against an infinitely holy God who is so outside your capacity to understand his grandeur and his beauty and his glory and, and you sin against him. Now we're realizing that the scales of the eternality of the punishment is actually coming a lot closer to the scale of the action that we did. The issue isn't the sin that was committed. The issue was to whom was the sin committed against? The reality is, is that our natural state as people is to rebel against an infinitely holy God. The punishment that is coming for that is going to look like Sodom. It's going to look like destruction. But eternally. See, the sobering and sombering and horrific reality is that hell awaits the wicked, that the road is wide, the sins are many that lead to that destruction. And Sodom serves as an illustration for the fact that destruction is coming. But that's not all we learn from this story. We also learn that deliverance is available. Genesis 19, verse 15. As the morning dawned, the morning of destruction dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. When, when I realized I was preaching this weekend and I saw the text, I wasn't like super you know, pumped. I got to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a hard word. But I, I, over the course of this week, I, I came to be enamored with those two verses. <laughs> you have a lingering lot and a merciful Lord. What a picture of salvation. Lot did not deserve to be taken out of the city. There, there's, the only thing he did good was welcome the strangers in, which would have been a cultural norm. The only reason that's special in this case is because Sodom was so bad. But, but Lot, it, sure, like maybe, you know, the scale that we always have, like he's no Hitler, but he's no Mother Teresa. Sure, sure, Lot was no Hitler, but, but he wasn't a Mother Teresa. Like he, he was a bad dude. He did it, he, what he deserved 
was destruction. This is what Lot deserved to take place in his life on the basis of who he was as a wicked man in Sodom. Remember, he was just ingrained in the culture like the rest of them. And yet, the lingering Lot is delivered by the hand of the merciful Lord. It's a great image. In order for us to understand, I think we have to understand a few words. Um, So I have definitions on the screen for us. To understand this scene properly, we need to understand what justice is. Justice is when someone receives the punishment that they actually deserve. When someone's done something wrong and they receive the punishment for it, we say that's justice. Now, now mercy, right? This passage tells us that God is merciful to him. Mercy is when someone does not receive the punishment that they deserve. Lot deserved the punishment, and yet he was taken out by the hand outside of the city of Sodom so that he would be spared. God was merciful to him. Now, now a merciful God is a God to be praised. Amen? But the scandal of Christianity is not that God is merciful. That the scandal of Christianity is that God is gracious. Here's what grace is. Grace is when someone receives something good that they do not deserve. It's not just the absence of the bad, it's the receiving of the good. This is why Romans 3 should blow your minds in light of Sodom and our rightful placement among the men of Sodom because of our actions. Here's what Romans chapter 3 says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there, there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just towards sin on Jesus. Jesus on the cross is absorbing the punishment that we deserve. Jesus on the cross is absorbing the punishment that Sodom received. Fire and sulfur, complete destruction. The son of God, the eternal son of God killed and destroyed so that God's justice could be served. That sin could be dealt with, but it's not only that God shows to be the justifier. That word propitiation, big church word that if you say it in normal life, everyone's like, that's a weird word. The word propitiation, it it comes, it's used intentionally by Paul. It's it's appealing to the image In in the Greek world, the ancient Greek world, there was this image of the gods needing to be appeased. What we have here is the word for appeasing God. So the word propitiation is... I think the best word in the Bible, (laughs) because what propitiation is, is it is turning deserved wrath into undeserved grace. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, he took the wrath that we deserve so that we could accept the righteousness that he actually had. See, his, his perfect life mattered. His death matters. That's why we talk about Easter and we invite people to Easter services is because the cross of Christ is where God is just and the one who justifies, where the punishment is dealt with and where wrath is turned into favor. And you don't deserve it. 
We deserve the sulfur and fire. That's what's just. But God is merciful. He takes us out of the city by our hand. And even though we linger like Lot, he's merciful and he takes us out. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you see the perfection of my son? That's how I see you now. I see you as perfect. You were a man of Sodom, but I see you as the man of God. Because Christ on the cross turned God's wrath towards us into his favor towards us. So look, we need to believe the gospel. This is your opportunity for deliverance, is your trust in this story of Jesus. This Jesus who died for you, who lived for you, who rose for you, who's returning for you, your trust in that story is what is your ticket out of Sodom. Without that ticket, you're stuck. Don't be like the sons-in-law who think, oh, God's judgment, what a joke. Don't be like them. Don't be like Lot's wife who starts on a journey but then thinks that, it's not a big deal, what's God going to do? And she turns back. Don't don't be that Christian who turns away. Keep, Keep going. Let the Lord drag you out of that sinful state by your hand and you run towards the promised land. The only reason you can have it is because God is gracious. See, Sodom teaches us that destruction is coming, but it also shows us that deliverance is available. Don't miss it. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm thankful for this text. I'm thankful for it because it shows us who you are. Help us love you more. Help us follow you better. Help us praise you fuller for the grace you've shown us. We don't deserve it. We're lingering lots. We're scoffing sons-in-laws, but... but You're a gracious God. For those of us who believe this message for a while, I pray that you would reignite in us a vision of your grandeur and that would sustain us through every season of our life. And for those of us who are here tonight and we, or this morning, we don't yet know you, I pray that you would transform hearts. Just change them. So that they would leave the destruction that's coming and experience the deliverance that is available. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.